How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? I hope so. I hope your week is going absolutely fantastic. I hope that you are feeling very blessed. I know that you are blessed, but we're going to move right along into the Word this morning. Who's ready for the Word? It's good to hear that eight of you are. Who else is ready for the Word? Awesome. All right, so this morning, uh, those of you that don't know me, maybe you haven't met me yet, but uh, my, you can just call me Pastor Chase. My wife and I are the uh, new pastors of the college and career ministry here at All Seasons. We've only been here a short few months, um, but we are excited to be here. We're thankful to be here, and we love our family here at All Seasons. Now, uh, this morning, uh, you may notice a little bit of a different preaching style from perhaps Pastor Tim or Pastor Bradley. That's okay. You don't have to like my preaching. If you do, though, I mean, hey, uh, that's good. But if you don't, don't tell me. I'm sensitive about it, and I don't want to hear you. I'm kidding. But this morning, uh, for all of my note takers, any note takers in the room this morning? Good. I love note takers. For my note takers in the room, this is the title that you can write down there at the top left of your page, move or be removed. Move or be removed. And so obviously here, we're in a Pentecostal, we're in a Church of God church, and so something that you've probably heard once, twice, a thousand times growing up, if you spend any amount of time in a Church of God or a Pentecostal atmosphere, you've heard this, what a move of God. What a move of God. What a, what a move by the Holy Spirit. You hear people walking out into the, into the lobby, walking out of the church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Man, the Spirit of God just moved tonight or today. Who's ever heard that before? Oh, man, I've heard it so many times. I've, I've grown up in church. I was born in the church, and I'm still in the church. And so I've heard it a lot of times. Man, God just moved. The Spirit of God moved. God was really there in that presence. And so what we do is we grow up and we go, man, you know what? I'm going to pray for a move of God. I want a move of God. And so everybody in this room, if I asked you, it's a simple yes or no question. Do you want God to move? We'd all say yes. I want God to move. We pray for God to move. We pray for God to move in our services. We were praying this morning. What were we praying? God, we want you to move in our service. We pray for God to move in our families. If you've got family that's lost or needs the Lord, or you've got uh, marital problems, or if you've got children problems or whatever, what do you pray? God, move in my family. Or maybe in your own personal life, maybe you're battling your own problems, your own demons, you're going through uh, all kinds of hell in your life, and what do you pray? God, move in my life. But my question to you is, this morning is this, is what if we have it backwards? What if we need to flip it? Instead of saying, God, I need you to move, what if God's looking down and going, no, I need you to move? I need you to move him. We're sitting here and we're pleading and we're begging and we're saying, God, move, God, move, God, move in this country. God, move in this world. God, move in our school systems. God, move it. And God's leaning up in his throne saying, no, I need you to move. I need you to move in your school systems. I need you to move in your country. I need you to move in your family. What if we have it backwards? Because with God, one thing we're to be is we're to be on the move. I'm going to look in Ephesians chapter 2. The first five verses of Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And it is by grace you have been saved." Now, if I had to guess this morning, the majority in this room are saved. You were once dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sin. Now, I can say this. I don't see a lot of dead things move. If you do, it's not dead. But what I do see is I see a lot of living things move. 
How many living things do you know that just stand completely still and they never move, they never grow, they never become something more? From the moment each of us in this room were born, you began to grow at an exponential rate. Scientists even say that if you grew at the rate you grew as a newborn, we would be 12-foot giants. Because when you're born, you immediately begin this growing process, and it's so rapid. It's My son just turned one year old a couple of days ago. And it's amazing when we go back and we look at pictures of when he was born, the day he was born, and he was just this little ball. I could just hold him in one hand, just look at him. He's just so, and now he's turned into an alligator that bites and swings and wrestles. And it's, it's great. I'm like, man, you have just grown so much in this past year. He's got teeth now. He's got a good right hook, I know. I mean, he's just, he is just massive. He's 25 pounds. He was seven when he was born. He's like, dude, you have grown. But that's just how living things are. Living things grow. Living things develop. Living things become more in you and I since we were dead in sin. We weren't growing. We weren't going nowhere in our sin. Just look back at your, at your past, at your history, where you came from. And it's, an easy, it's an easy observation to make. I wasn't going anywhere in that lifestyle. I wasn't growing. I wasn't becoming a better person. I wasn't moving forward in life. If anything, I was going backwards. But then something great happened. The love of Jesus, the mercy God had for us, stepped onto the scene and gave us life through salvation. And now with this life, we are to do this one thing. We are to move. We are to move. We are not to be still or stagnant or to remain in one place, but we are to move. But I've watched many people in churches they determine this one thing in their mind that when, they, that when they come into church or when they live their life, they're going to stand still. They're going to stubbornly stand in place and say, I'm not going to move unless God moves me first. I've watched people during the worship service, and, and I'm just going to say, guys, I've heard some good praise teams. I've heard some bad praise teams. We've got a good praise team here at all seasons. Yes, we do. Absolutely. And so you've got people up here that are talented, far more talented than I. You don't want to hear me sing. Like, oh, and I'm just going to say this. There's a lot of Church of God pastors that when they get up here, they just break out into a hymn. They, they, they just start singing from the old redback. Or maybe they sing an old tune. You're not going to hear it from me. I'm not the singing pastor. It's not in me. God didn't give me that gift, and that's okay by me. But you've got some great people up here that can sing and play. But I watch people out in the audience. I'm an observer. And people think I'm judging. I'm not judging. I'm just observing your fruit. But I, I, I observe. And so I worship. I lift my hands. I praise. But every so often, I'll just kind of I just look because I'm curious. I'm curious to see because I can learn so much from watching people. And I watch people, and I learn that some people will just stand there, and they're just, maybe if they play a song I like. Maybe if the keys get really loud and the drums really build, and I get the goosebumps down my arm, then I'll go, you know what? That deserved a hand raise right there. And they'll raise their hands, and they'll worship only if they feel that God has moved them first. I watch some people during the preaching, and we've got some good preachers here at all seasons that can really deliver the word. I'm not saying I'm one of them because nobody's heard me yet. So I'm talking about Pastor Tim and Pastor Bradley. But we've got some good preachers here at all seasons. But the, I've watched people as they sit there and they listen to it. And they could preach until their hair catches on fire. They could preach the paint off the walls. They could preach until the words jumped off the page and hit you in the cheek with them. And people would just stand there like it was nothing. Why? Because God needs to move before I'm going to move. God needs to do something before I'm going to do something. God needs to wheel somebody in here in a wheelchair, and they need to jump out of that wheelchair and run up on stage. And when that happens... Then I'll jump and get excited. When a miracle happens, then I'll get excited. 
When the song gets really good, then I'll get excited. When he hits that really good point in the preaching sermon, then I'll get excited. I'll move, I'll jump, I'll clap, I'll raise my hands, I'll do something, but only if I feel like God has moved me first. And what if we have that backwards? What if that's not how it's supposed to be? I'm going to switch gears on you, and I'm going to give you something to laugh about. How many of you have seen the movie Wally? It's a Disney movie. Who's seen it? It's about a little robot. Okay, a few people have seen it. So it, it's a cute little Disney movie. It's about this little robot. This robot's name is Wally, and his, he has his own little journey. But my point is this. In that movie, while we're watching Wally and his whole little escapades and everything, we finally get introduced to the human race. We haven't seen a single person this entire movie. We've just been following this robot. Well, finally, he gets onto this spaceship and finds the rest of Earth's population. Now, this population of people haven't been on the Earth in nearly over 100 years. It's been a long time. And so we're all watching the movie, and we're wondering, what are they going to look like? Let's put a picture up there for them to see. Look, that's the human race. I'm watching this movie, and they put this picture up, and I'm like, oh, interesting. They're sitting there in this little hover chair. They got a little hover chair. And this hover chair carries them anywhere they want to go. And that big cup they're carrying is like a meal in a cup. And it just refills automatically when they need more. And so they just zip and zoom around this spaceship in their little hover chair, drinking their little meal in a cup. And it's crazy. I got another picture, don't I? Yeah, look at that. They got this TV screen in front of them. And that TV screen, it never stops playing. It's always on. They can check the weather. They can check the news. They can watch a TV show, a movie. They can do whatever they want on that little TV screen. You see how he's reaching his cup out there? He's saying, give me a refill. Give me some more. But the biggest thing is that all the people are big, fat blobs. That's all they are. Look at them. That guy doesn't even have toes. It's just a leg. That's all they are. They're just big, fat blobs. And as you watch this movie, you realize that the robots on this spaceship serve their food. They tidy their rooms. They do their hair. They do their makeup. They take care of them. They change the temperature for them. And these people, the reason they have gotten to that state is they never moved. They were born on the chair, and they died on the chair. They zipped and zoomed on that chair until their life was no more. They ate those meals in a cup until they couldn't eat no more. They watched that little TV screen until their eyes finally shut. And that's what they've been doing year after year after year. And when that group of people would finally pass away, here comes the next little group of blobs. And they would all do the same thing until finally they passed away. What if the church has become like that? What if we've become spiritually lethargic? What if we just come to church and we like to sit in our, our comfy little chairs? I know y'all got them nice theater seats, but I got a couch. We like to sit in our nice little comfortable chairs, and we like the praise team to come up here and serve me, praise team. Sing me a good song. Sing me a good song. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I can, I can, I can clap to that one. We might raise a hand. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You've been so good to me for letting me get that new car. We sit back down for the preaching. All right, preach a good one. Preach a good one. I'll check back in about 20 minutes. Some of y'all do it. Don't even get offended. I've, I, I hear it. I've heard it. You would think there was a bear in the sanctuary. And we sit there and we're like, serve me, pastor, serve me, praise team, serve me, God. And we act like God owes us the world just because you put on pants and walked into a building this morning. Just because you put your shoe on your left foot and your right foot and you managed to get in your car and drive 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, I don't know how far you live, but you showed up. But because you showed up to church, God just has to heap out blessings on you. Why? Because you're here. Sit down. You're nobody. I'm nobody. 
I don't deserve anything. The one thing I do deserve, somebody else took my place on it. But we at just because I'm here, God, I'm here, so move me. You be good to me. You show up for me. I need the blessing. I need the presence. I need the favor. I need this. And I'm not going to lie. I've got needs of my own. I got needs of my family. I got needs of my finances. Don't look at my bank account. You'll cry. I've got needs. But guess what? Just because I've got needs doesn't mean God's entitled to meet them. My salvation is not based upon God owing me anything. My dedication to the Lord is not dependent on God doing something for me. That's called a parasitic relationship. You know what my relationship is built on? Love and nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not dependent on whether or not he puts a $1,000 check in the mailbox tomorrow. It's not dependent on whether or not I wake up and there's a brand new vehicle sitting in my driveway. It's not dependent on what he can do for me, but it's dependent on if I wake up in the morning and I go, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my health. Thank you for the family I do have. Thank you for the car I do have. It may not be the best car, but it's got four wheels and it goes. And that's all I need right now. And if you ever see fit to bless me with a better one, I'll thank you for that one. But right now, I'm just thankful to be here. Amen. I feel like we've got it backwards. Because scripture seems to ask more out of us when it comes to God and this thing called a relationship with him. In Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 27, he says this. He says that they would seek God. God did this so they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. One translation says so that they will reach towards him. Yet he is actually not far from any one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's in God that we live, like we just said in Ephesians. When he brought salvation, he brought life. And when that life comes movement, it's in him that we live. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we have our being. Matthew 6.33 You probably know this one. Matthew 6 is a great chapter, but it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what does it say? And all these things will be added to you. We get so caught up in the all these things. We get so fixated on the all the, God, I want all these things. He says, okay, seek my kingdom. I want all, okay, seek my righteousness. I understand that you want a better house. I understand you want a better this. And I understand that you need a spouse. I understand that you want children. I understand that you want this and want this. But he says, if you'll just seek my kingdom, if you'll just get up and move a little bit, I'll show you what I can do. Amen? You cannot actively seek if you were not moving. Who's ever played hide and seek? Because I have, can I tell you what? You'd be a pretty terrible seeker if you just stood still. Because there'd be eight kids hiding and you'd never find any of them. How many of us are the same way? We just got done with the series with Pastor Tim. Talking about being authentic. Talking about being fishers of men. How can you fish? How can you go? How can you find if you never move, if you never get up and go, if you never do something different. There was a lady by the name of Rosa Luxemburg. That name is of no importance to anybody. I doubt you've ever heard her, but there's a quote that she said that really stuck with me. It said, those who do not move do not notice their chains. Those who do not move do not notice their chains. Now, Miss Rosa, she grew up around Germany during the whole uh, clash in the Second World War. So she knew a thing or two about chains. She knew a thing or two about prisoner, prisoners and imprisonment. And she said, those who don't move don't notice their chains. How can I articulate that in Scripture? How can I paint a better picture? Go to Acts 16 and in verse 25. You know the story about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
Now, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Why are they in prison? Because they were moving. They were moving. They were moving from city to city, place to place, and they were preaching the word of God. They were preaching the story of Jesus. And finally, they got beat and put in jail. Well, when they put those chains around their leg and their arms, they could have just sat there. But the longer that you sit there with chains around your legs and arms, the heavier those chains start to feel. Let me talk to anybody that's ever worked a hard day. You've had a long, hard day. What you better not do is go home and sit down. Because once you sit down, what's going to happen? You're not getting back up. I've worked, and I've come home, and I've just, you know, you know, that, you know that slow sit down? You're back, you're like, oh. And then you just let that, you let it out. And as soon as my neck gets to the back of that couch, what does my wife do? Come here. Guys, you would have thought I was chained to that couch. Because I, I heard her, but I said, what would you say? Lord, please don't let her say it again. Let her come to me. Come here. Okay. It's hard once you stop. Once you stop, you realize how tired you feel. Once you stop, you realize how hurt you are. Once you stop, you realize how heavy life is. Paul and Silas, they got in prison, and they didn't just sit there with their arms fastened, and they didn't just sit there. Oh, Lord, you need to send somebody, I guess, because these chains are getting heavy, and it's getting late and dark, and I'm tired. It's midnight. It's midnight. You know what they start doing? Having a praise break. When's the last time you had a praise break at midnight? When's the last time life was just going upside down and you couldn't think of anything else to do? So you know what you did? You turned on your favorite praise song and you just had a praise break. You just had a moment of worship. You just had a moment where you said, I'm going to move because when I start moving, something's going to happen. Because if freedom can come to Paul and Silas in a jail cell because they wouldn't shut up, then you better know that when you open your mouth and you start praising the good Lord, that the same thing can happen for you. Amen? They start to move. They start to praise. And suddenly, the Bible says immediately, immediately, those chains fell off of them. But what happens to those of us if we don't move? That's the question of the day. Because I know, I, know, I know the title. The title said move or be removed. So let's talk about removal. Let's talk about what it means to be removed. Let's talk about what happens if we just stay stagnant and still as Christians. It's not a good thing. Why? Because you have life and life more abundantly. God didn't call us to a life of stagnation. And the Bible articulates this in a parable in Matthew 25, starting with verse 24. He also received the one talent. He who had also received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you had to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." God has given us all a great gift. This parable articulates that point. There's a master, he has three servants, and he goes to the three servants and he says, I'm going away for a little while. Come here, servant number one. I'm going to give you five talents. Talents is a coin, it's a currency in case you didn't know. So I'm going to give you five talents. Okay. He didn't tell him what to do with it. Go back and read the parable. He didn't say go invest it. He said, I'm giving you five talents. I'll be back later to get it. 
He says, servant number two, come here. I'm giving you two talents. He says, servant number three, come here. I'm giving you one talent. Servant number one says, wow, five talents. Okay, well, what can I do with this money? What can I do? You know what? I'll go out. I'll go out to the town. I'll go visit a couple of the banks in town, and i see if I can invest this and get some interest back. So he goes out into the town. He goes to the bank. He invests the five talents, and he gets ten talents back. The second servant says, wow, what a great idea. I don't have as much. I've only got two talents, but I'll go invest it too. So he goes out into town, and he invests the two talents. He gets back four talents. The third servant goes, oh, man. What if I go out and I invest it and I lose the one talent I have? You know what? My master would be angry if that. If I didn't give him anything back, when he got back, he'd be furious. You know what I want to do? I'll bury it. I'll keep it safe. So he digs a hole in the backyard. He puts that coin down that hole. He covers it. And every day he checks on it. You still there? Okay, good, good. Nobody's touched it. You still there? All right, just making sure you're still there, making sure it's all okay, making sure it's good. Master comes back. His servant number one, come here. My five talents I gave you, where are they? Master, great news. I took the five and I invested it and I got ten back. Here you go. Well done, good and faithful servant. Awesome job. Servant number two, come here. Master, I didn't have five talents. I only had two. But, but I went and I invested the two when I got four back. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. Servant number three, come here. I gave you one talent. What did you do? Master, I was afraid that I would lose it because it was only one. I didn't have extra to spare. You see, the servant with five could have spared four and kept one, but he gave all five. I didn't want to risk that. I didn't want to lose the one talent you gave me, so I buried it. But look, here it is. It's just, it's just fine. It's okay. It's not hurt. It's not damaged, and nobody stole it. And the master looks at him and says, you wicked and slothful. One translation, I love it, says, you wicked and lazy servant. Lazy. A lazy servant. Can I be honest? There's a few things you can make fun of me about, and that'll be a-okay. You can make fun of my nose. You can make fun of my ears. You can make fun of my voice or whatever you want to make fun of. It's fine. It's cool. I'll laugh with you. But if you call me lazy, that just stinks. That one hurts. Who likes to be called lazy? That's just that's just a that's just a that's a dirty little jab. You're lazy. Ouch. Because what people don't know is they don't see the work that I put in. They don't see the hours that I work. And then when I get home and I'm tired, they don't see me going and putting time into my family then. So for you to call me lazy, ooh, that hurts. And he calls that servant lazy and wicked. What a terrible thing to say. But how many of us, God has given us such a great gift. And he says, look, I'm giving you this gift. I'm giving you this precious coin. I'm giving you this, I'm giving this to you. What are you going to do with it? How many of us go, oh man, I really don't want to lose this. I don't, I don't want to, I got to take good care of it. And so I can't, I can't, I can't do anything with it. I can't go nowhere. I can't do anything. I can't talk to nobody. I can't show nobody. I can't do anything. I'm going to go hide it. I'm going to go put it away. And that way, when Jesus comes back, I can show him, look, I kept it safe. What's, what's he going to say to you? So you're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you, and not only that, but you doubled it, tripled it, quadrupled it. Or is he going to say, you're lazy. I gave you all of this, and you did nothing with it. The first two servants had it right. Why? They moved. They, went, they got up, and they said, let's go into town. Let's go talk to people. Let's go invest in people. Let's, let, let's go move and share and do more with what we've been given. But the third servant said, no, I'm not going to do anything unless my master tells me. I'm not going to do anything unless my master pushes me to go do it. Then I'll go do it. 
God's not going to every day wake you up and go, okay, okay, come on, go. You need to go win a soul. You, you need to go be a Christian. You need to go lead people to me. You need to go, you need, you need to go, you need to. He just said, look, I gave you life and life more abundantly. I gave you my word. Now, what you do with that is up to you. But just know, just like in the parable, I'm coming back, and I'm going to see how much interest I'm getting. What does this mean for the church today? And I'm not talking about all seasons church. I'm talking about the church, the the body of believers. We've become a lazy church. We've become a slothful church. We've become a church that doesn't want to move, doesn't want to go. Eh, I don't really feel like it. Uh, not really my thing. How do I know? Go and look at the 8 o'clock and the 1030 attendance, and then go look at the attendance for the prayer meeting in the middle of the week. Go, go look at the attendance for the 830 and the 1030, then go look at who shows up for the volunteer to help pitch in, to help go, to help move. You're going to notice, spoiler alert, you're going to notice a pretty big difference. Why? We don't want to move. We're going to come in and kick up our feet. This is why I have this couch up here, by the way. We're going to kick up our feet. Man, I sure am comfortable. I'm a Christian. Everybody I know knows that I'm a Christian. I've got my Christian name tag right here on my sleeve. That's all I need. That's all I need. Well, why don't you share that? Nope, don't want to. Well, why don't you? Nope. Why? Because I'm comfy. I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. The preacher man told me, if I just accept Jesus, I'm going to heaven. So I'm good. The Bible says differently. The Bible says if you're just using Jesus to get out of hell, watch out. Because he said you're a wicked and a lazy servant. If you're just taking what he gave you and abusing it and hiding it, what did he say at the end of that parable? He said, take the talent from that servant and give it to the other one. Because the one who doesn't have enough is not going to have anything now if he's lazy with it. I know this isn't the, whoa, kind of preaching you came to church for. This isn't the jump up and down. We walk into our beautiful church building on Sundays because this is a beautiful building. We wear our nice clothes. I know I wore, I wore mine. I like to dress up. I do. We sit down in our comfy chairs, and we want to be given some good worship. I'm not saying we're good worshipers, because a lot of us aren't. If you don't believe me, I'll give you some, some firsthand testimony. I've talked to the youth and the college-age kids. I've talked to the young adults. You know how to worship? Uh, well, uh, uh. No, they don't. Why? Because we just want to serve them good worship. But we don't want to show nobody how to worship. We want to show, we want to get up here and pray and woo-hoo and shabba-dabba-ding-dong and all this stuff till the roof comes down, but don't nobody else know anything about that because we don't want to share. We don't want to talk. We don't want to invest. We don't want to move. But at the same time, we're going, God, just move, just move, just move, just move. But we're going to stand still, and we won't wait around and wait around until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be okay. If we can just hide our talent in the ground and just wait till the master comes back, then everything's going to be okay. If we can just wait it out. Because now the now homosexuality is crazy and abortion's crazy and, and now it's even worse. They want to put transgenders in the bathroom, but it's even worse than that. Now we got a Democrat in the White House. Jesus, I thought Trump was going to get a second term. You've left us, God. You abandoned us. I voted for him. I have my pit sticker on the back of my pickup. What happened? God's left us. No. I know the country's terrible. I know the country's in bad shape. I know the world's full of evil. But why are we over here hiding our talent in the ground when the very thing that could change America on its head is residing in everybody in this room? Answer me that question. 
Isaiah 6 and 8 says this, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah famously speaks up and says, here I am, send me. How many of us are going to go this morning? How many of us, when God says, who will move, who will go, who will do what nobody else wants, how many of us could just say, I'll go, send me. I'll go where nobody else will go. I'll say what nobody else will say. I'll do what nobody else will do. You know what people say about me? They say I need to shut up sometimes. Because sometimes I say some things that are difficult. Sometimes I say things that are hard. Sometimes I look at our young adults and, and, and guys, y'all need to sit up there one Wednesday night. Oh, my Lord. We throw down. It's like a heavyweight UFC fight up there sometimes. Because I, those kids look at me and they, and they ask these questions and they're hard questions. It's hard questions about depression. It's hard questions about suicide. It's hard questions about all kinds of things. We've gone, we've gone from interracial dating to homosexuality to everything. And, and why? Because they don't know. Nobody's telling them. And I could just hide my towel in the ground and say, well, let's just wait till Jesus comes back. But you know what I do? I say some things that are hard. I say some things that are tough. But I invest the talent that God gave me into the next group that I'm able to impact. Why? Because when he comes back, I want to say, Jesus, you gave me this much, but look at how much interest you're getting in return. You gave me just a little bit, but I'm turning around. I'm investing. I'm moving. I'm going and I'm doing. Amen? How many of us can say the same thing? I'm going to give you a, a horrible truth this morning. Are you ready? Jesus is not physically walking in the earth anymore. <gasps> Why not? We need him. There's that old song. It's not an old song, but it's a song. When you walk into, or, uh, when you walk into the room, and it says, when you walk into the room, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. That's a good song. I like that song. But just so you know, Jesus is not going to physically walk into this room today. He's not. I'm sorry. He's not going to do it. Jesus is not physically in the crowds anymore healing people. You're healed. You're healed. Jesus isn't in the crowds of people rebuking demonic spirits anymore. He's not. I'm sorry. He's not. Nor is he going to. Jesus is no longer gathering crowds and preaching to them and teaching them. Jesus is no longer physically here saying, let the kids come up here. Let them sit in my lap. Let me talk to them. Let me teach them. Jesus isn't physically doing that anymore. That's why he has us. The Bible articulates it. He says we are the body of Christ. The physical body of Christ is not here, but that's why he left his spirit because his spirit inside of us makes us the body of Christ. Amen. You and I are the hands and feet of Jesus. You and I are what's going to move the church. You and I are what's going to advance the kingdom. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus, and Jesus was incredible. But something happened to Jesus. Jesus was put up on a cross for a crime he didn't commit. He was killed for our sake. Now, the Jesus that was always moving and always talking and always preaching and always healing, that Jesus, he was now completely still. He stopped moving. They took this motionless body off the cross and they laid it in a tomb. Jesus was not moving anymore. The same hands that healed laid still. The same mouth that spoke wisdom and truth was shut. It looked like Jesus was never going to move again. But you know the story. You've read it. And it's not even Easter. But three days passed. And suddenly those same hands got a little twitch in them all of a sudden. Those eyes that had stayed shut, the same eyes that had looked into the eyes of the 12 and said, I love you and you're going to do what I'm doing, those same eyes opened again. 
those legs that had been that had walked from Judea to to all over to Samaria everywhere the, those same legs started to move and he bent those knees up and he sat up and he said I've got one less thing to do and Jesus moved again now all the people outside of the tomb were freaking out why because Jesus that this Jesus that had moved so incredibly for 3 years in his ministry it was so amazing to watch him now he's not moving anymore he's not going he's not speaking he's not healing what they all started to doubt they all started to, to maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it was just emotion. Maybe it was just hype. Maybe it wasn't really real because he said he was the son of God. He said that he was going to save us. He said all these things, but now he's dead. And what happens? Jesus gets up and starts walking around again after his death, and everybody goes, it has to be him. It has to be him. He's moving again. I, I saw him dead. He wasn't, but now he's moving again. Now he's, he, he's talking again. Now I, I see the holes in his hands just like Thomas said. Thomas said, I, let me see where those nails were. And Thomas believed and said, you really are the son of God. And Jesus proved to everybody once and for all, I am who I said I was. And I will always be here. I'm sending my spirit. I'm sending my spirit. Let's fast forward 2,000 years to present day. Jesus is still moving, but unfortunately, we are not. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Jesus is sitting beside the Father, and he's just looking down at the church, the very thing that he created the very thing that he empowered, the very thing that he lived and died for was the church. And he's looking at us and saying, move to something. But people walk in and they, they need healing in their body. We can't expect Jesus to come walking in and save them. When people come in, they're battling suicide and depression, anxiety. They're battling addiction of all kinds. We can't expect Jesus to come in and do it. When people come in, they just need somebody to talk to. They need wisdom from somebody. They need truth from somebody. They need someone. We can't expect Jesus to walk in and do it. But what if we did it? What? That's crazy. I can't heal anybody. I can't deliver somebody from addiction. I, I, can't, I can't do those things. I'm just me. Yes, you're correct, but there is something inside of you that is so much greater than you. When he said, greater is he that is in me than he that is of this world. Listen to me, church. Right now, every single one of you has the opportunity and the ability through Christ to do those things. Before Jesus left, he said this. He said, greater things will you do than what I have done. The world, the world is in constant mourning. The world is in constant darkness. Why? You want my opinion? You want my thoughts? I think the world has gotten so dark because the church has stopped moving. Anybody ever play with a flashlight in the dark? If I turn every light off in this room... And I brought in a big flashlight, and I turned that flashlight on. It's going to illuminate every dark spot I hit. The only way, the only way that the darkness is going to overcome the light is if the light goes out. Can we stop acting like the darkness has overtaken the church? Can we stop acting like the church can no longer do anything? Can we quit saying that the world's too dark, it's too far gone, it's too evil, it's too bad, it's too broken and busted and messed up? Darkness can't overtake the light unless the light is not there. So where's the light, church? Where's the hope? Where's the hope that, that saved you? Where is that same hope for them out there? As I get ready to, to close, 
If you want to see America truly experience revival, that's another easy question I could ask. Who wants to see America experience revival? Oh, yeah, I do. We don't raise our hands. I do, Chase. I, I do. I want to see America have revival. How many of you want to see revival in your, in your families or in your kids or in this church? Yeah, Pastor, I do. I do. I, I desperately want to see that. I desperately want to see that. Then we've got to move. We've got to move. Or you risk being removed. Because God says, if you won't do what I've called you to do, I'll find somebody who will. Look at the story of Saul. Saul refused to do what God wanted him to do. And finally, God said, you know what, Saul? You're right. You're not going to change. You're not going to move. You're not going to budge on this. You're being too stubborn. So I'm going to remove you, and I'm going to put in a young boy named David. Because David's going to do what I want him to do. We're so concerned. We're so concerned, and, and, and as the musicians come, we're so concerned about whether our last president is going to get put back in office because the illegal voting scheme and blah, blah, blah. We're so concerned about that. We're so concerned about the shortage of ground beef. We're so concerned about blah, 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 blah. We're so concerned about the price of gas. We're so concerned about, about all of this. We're so concerned about the politics of things. That's our worry. That's our, and those are real concerns. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't be concerned. But here's my thing. When we let the worries of this world overtake our job as believers, to do what God has called us to do, to be the people that God has called us to be, then we've got it backwards. We've got it wrong. And I'm closing with this. There was a reason in Acts chapter 2. Y'all remember Acts chapter 2, right? Pretty neat story, huh? Pretty cool how they were all up there in the upper room. And then suddenly this mighty rushing wind came in and, and then everybody was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Peter steps out and starts preaching to everybody. That's pretty neat, right? But look at the end of that story. That's what I think is cool. That's what I think is neat. The end of that chapter says that the people that heard the preaching were saved, but not only than that, they went and got more people. It says that the very last sentence of that chapter, go back and read it, Acts chapter 2, go to the, down to the very end. It says, and their number was added to daily. 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 What does that mean? It means every single day somebody was being added to the church. Every single day, somebody was coming to know Jesus. Every single day, somebody was being enlightened with the truth of the gospel. Every single day, somebody was being delivered. Somebody was being healed. Every single day, that was happening. In today's time, we pray that once a week on Sundays, that one person show up who doesn't know him. If it could happen for the church of Acts, why can it not happen for the church of today? If they could see a move of God like that to back then, why can we not see one today? This is why. This is where we stay. Some of you, by the time you hit your car in the parking lot, you're going to forget everything I said. The only thing you remember are the fat blobs that I put on the screen. That's the only thing you remember. Hey, that guy put a picture of the fat people from Wally up on the screen. And you'll just go about your week, normal routine. Next Sunday rolls around, you'll be right back here. And what did you do in the seven days since then? That's why the church is in the condition it is. And that's why America and the world is in the condition it is. Will you stand this morning? <clears throat> There's a song that I love. It's called, We Need a Move. And the whole song just says, we need a move. And it gets to the bridge of the song, and it says, miracles happen when you move. Miracles happen when you move. 
and we're singing this to God. Miracles happen when you move. And God showed me something about that song. I think we've got that backwards. I think miracles happen not when he moves, but when you move. I think things begin to happen in the spiritual when we take the steps. I think things begin to shake. I think all of hell begins to tremble when you get up and take a step. Can I say this? The devil don't care that you came to church this morning. You know what the devil cares about? Are you going to move and be active and take a step? I'm about to give one of the strangest altar calls you've probably ever been a part of. It's not for salvation. It's not for healing. It's not for deliverance. It's not for empowerment. It's, it's for everything. Here's my question to you this morning, and these altars are open, and I will gladly pray with anybody who needs prayer. But this is what the altar is. If you are ready to move so that God can move in your life, this is for you. If you need healing, now's the time. Step forward. It doesn't have to be a healing service. It doesn't have to be a healing evangelist. It doesn't have to be a sermon on healing. You show me a a scripture in the Bible that says Jesus was preaching on healing and then he healed people. There was one instance where he was just walking down the road and healing happened. If you need deliverance from stuff in your life that is just overtaking you, this is for you. Because my point this morning is this, if you will just take a step, if somebody will just get bold and say, you know what, I need God to move in my life, but instead of just sitting here in this seat and waiting for him to dump it in my lap, I'm going to take a step forward this morning. And I guarantee you when you reach this altar, God will meet you here. Because when we move, he moves. When we speak, he speaks. When we begin to pray, that's when things begin to happen. So this morning, right now, if you need God to move and you're ready to take that step, meet me here in this altars. Better than that, meet him here in these altars. This morning, I'll leave you with this as you go out into the rest of your week. Move. Move. I'm not asking you to move you and your whole family to a third world country and become missionaries. Now, if you feel God has called you to that, then, you know. But find something, someone, some way to move. Amen. Go with the peace of God. Give that devil fits.